0: Every so often, I see things that I've never seen before. Oh, I'm not talking about some rare species of tiger or some wonder of the world. I'm talking about little things. Lois and I will be out walking in the morning, and I'll notice a a wall or a plant that I've never noticed before. A couple of months ago, it was an entire house. (laughs) Someone had mentioned to us the woman who lived there, and I couldn't figure out just which house they were talking about. And so when I went looking for it, there it was up on a hill, obscured behind shrubs and trees. I've lived on that street for 30 years and walked that street for 30 years, and I never had noticed that house before. Anybody else ever had that experience? Ah, yeah, I see a few nods. And I know it's not an uncommon experience. In Ray Bradbury's novel Dandelion Dandelion Wine, there's a, a scene where a couple of young boys, John and Doug, are out walking, and they pass by a very familiar house, and all of a sudden, John looks up, and he sees some colored window panes and some little round windows, and he becomes quite agitated about the fact that he's never noticed them before in all the times he's passed by this house. His friend is surprised that he's so upset. What difference does it make, he asks. And John replies, well, it's just, if I didn't see those windows until today, what else did I miss? What else did I miss? We often miss a good deal, even with familiar Bible stories. This morning's gospel lesson is very well known. I'm sure you have heard it or read it many, many times. The story appears in Matthew, Mark, and John with some slight differences, but it's clearly the same story, and we know it so well. Even people who don't read the Bible have heard of Jesus walking on the water. It's almost a, a cliche, isn't it? But if we pay close attention, there are always new things to notice, new understandings to glean I suspect that when you heard this story a moment ago, a couple of things stood out immediately in your mind. The familiar things. There's the strange miracle of Jesus walking on the water. That's uh, probably what you'd highlight if someone asks you what church was about today. Oh, it was about Jesus walking on the water. When our kids were small, we always, on the way home from church, asked them what church was about, and they'd always say, God... They were listening closely, though, I'm sure. Perhaps the second thing that you'd notice would be the storm. The dark night, the high winds, and then how the storm suddenly was quiet when Jesus stepped into the boat. Or maybe you'd notice the whole episode with Peter trying to walk on the water and and then beginning to sink until Jesus grabbed his hand. Maybe that's what you'd notice. I'd like you to focus on some different details. Maybe some things you haven't noticed. I'd like you to think, for example, about the disciples' response when they first see Jesus. We gloss over that so often, at least I do, but I think there's something important there for us to notice. What do the disciples think when they see Jesus? They think it's a ghost. What's their emotion? They're scared. They're terrified. I don't know. Wouldn't you kind of expect them to say, oh, that's cool. Jesus walks on the water. No. They don't even realize that it is Jesus. They say it's a ghost. You know, that uh, translation doesn't really quite help us understand what they were thinking. It seems there was an old folk superstition. The idea that when death is about to seize you, he takes visible form so that you can see him coming. And I think that's what they were thinking, that they were about to die and that death was coming to grab them. What else, after all, could explain a a figure walking on the lake in the midst of the storm? So why did they not recognize Jesus? What do you think? Why could they not recognize him? Yeah, they're afraid, certainly. There was a storm. storm. Maybe the darkness obscured him. I think, though, maybe the most important thing is they just didn't expect to see him there. I'm sure you've had the experience of seeing someone out of the context where you usually know them and not quite being able to place who it is. I seem to have that experience more and more often as I get older. Matthew tells us that Jesus had sent the disciples away on a boat and he'd gone up by himself into the hills as he so often had done before. They didn't figure on seeing him that night at all. They figured he'd just show up in the morning as he always did. But here he is in this place and in this situation and with this aspect that they simply were not expecting and so they were terrified. And what does it mean the disciples eyes wide with fear and then Jesus voice reassuring them take heart it is i what does it mean well here's another detail to notice the words it is i translate the greek ego eimi, which means literally just i am It's the phrase, which in the Greek language translates the Old Testament words spoken by the Lord from the burning bush to Moses. I am who I am. Moses says, who shall I say sent me? The Lord says, say, I am has sent you. So in Jesus' mouth, these words take on this wonderful meaning. It is I, says our translation, but what he means is, I am, I am who I am, that is to say, I am the Lord your God. I am with you, do not be afraid. Zora Neale Hurston was an African-American woman writer in the early part of the 20th century. Hers is a fascinating story. She was rejected by literary critics, black and white, largely because she was a black woman and because she didn't write the kinds of stories that African Americans were supposed to write. She spent the latter part of her life working as a maid. She died in obscurity. She was buried in an unmarked grave. Her work has been rediscovered only in the past couple of decades and she's been compared by the critics to Hemingway and F. Scott Fitzgerald as a key figure in 20th century American writing. Her classic novel is called Their Eyes Were Watching God. If you've not read the book, maybe you saw the TV movie that Oprah Winfrey produced that was based on the story. The title comes from an incident in the story where Janie and Tea Cake, the main characters, are caught in a hurricane in the Florida Everglades. And it's dark. The wind is howling around them, and they're staring out into the blackness, wondering if they're going to live or die. Staring out into the darkness, Hurston writes, but their eyes were watching God. That's like that with these disciples, is it not? They're staring at something unexpected, something unknown, something terrifying, but their eyes are watching God. They do not know it yet, but that's what they're doing. That's who is there in that wind and on the water. Their eyes are watching God, the great I Am, the one who tells them in the midst of their fear, take heart, I am with you. And so it is with us in the storms of our lives. It's not always smooth sailing in this life, is it? Sometimes what faces us seems so unfamiliar, so foreign, and we feel so helpless. Maybe it's a a significant illness in ourselves or in one we love. Perhaps it's a lost job or a lost fortune. Maybe it's a family crisis we didn't anticipate and we cannot resolve in the way we wish we could. Or maybe it's something entirely external to ourselves. Maybe it's a, a rogue leader rattling a nuclear saber. Or maybe it's racial violence and hatred, or threats from nations or religions or individuals who seem to us to be foreign and dangerous. These things frighten us, we stare at them with. Eyes wide open and fear in our hearts, and we wonder, how will we survive? But so often, it turns out, our eyes are watching God. What frightens us seems so overpowering, but there is God, right in the midst of it, and perhaps we cannot recognize him because the wind is too high, the sea is too rough, we don't expect him to be there, and yet there he is, In the midst of the storm, calling to us, it is I, take heart. And even in the very darkest moments, this is true. When our life is approaching its end, when our life becomes a burden and we're nearing chilly Jordan, as the spiritual says, or or at least we perceive it to, to be that way, then perhaps we're most of all in the same boat as those disciples. They were convinced they were about to die. That apparition, they believed, was death coming to take them. And maybe you've seen that ghost. Maybe you've felt the fear that they felt that early morning. Some of us are given the grace and blessing to face death without fear, but for many, even for people of great faith, the specter of death is a fearsome thing. And there's nothing unchristian about that. You know, St. Paul himself, that great giant of faith called death the last enemy. No wonder we are afraid. But you see, when the disciples were afraid because they thought they saw death, there was really something else before them. Their eyes were watching God. They did not know it, poor little faiths that they were, but it was God in that storm, God on that sea, and and when at last he spoke, it was with words of reassurance, do not be afraid, I am here, it is I. William Cowper was a, a poet and hymn writer whose life was terribly dark. See what's making that noise? It sounds like rain, doesn't it? it? sounds like a storm. It's a sound effect that I've arranged for this sermon. When the disciples saw death, there was something else. Their eyes were watching God. They did not know it, poor little faiths that they were. But it was God in that storm was God on that scene, and when at last he spoke, it was with words of reassurance, do not be afraid, I am here, it is I. William Cowper was a poet and hymn writer whose life was terribly dark, was probably the victim of what we would today call clinical depression. And yet, in moments of light, he could sense that even in the storms that overpowered his mind, his eyes were watching God. He wrote these words. God moves in a mysterious way as wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. You know, in our first lesson, the last few weeks, we've been hearing the wonderful story of Jacob, kind of getting to the end of that story today and about to transition into hearing about Joseph, his son. But just a few weeks ago, in the beginning of Jacob's story, our reading told of the incident where Jacob's brother Esau had threatened to kill him. And Jacob is fleeing for his life. He's really in dire straits. And one night he falls into a deep sleep and he has a dream. Anybody remember that dream? I know it was a month ago, but... (laughs) What's that, Bob? The ladder. ladder. He dreams of a ladder, a staircase of some kind from earth to heaven, and who's on that ladder? Angels. Angels. Ascending and descending from heaven to earth. And when he wakes up, he says, Truly the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Yes, indeed, dear people of God, the Lord is in this place, and it does not matter whether this place is a storm-tossed ship or a sickbed or a crisis of any kind or a, a lonely room. The Lord is here. And his voice calls to you above the wind and above the fear. Don't be afraid. What you see that frightens you, I am there in its midst. It is I. Don't be afraid. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.